Let's open our Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 22. I'll give you somewhat a division of it to start with. Verses 1 and 2, you have the river and the tree of life. 1 and 2. Verses 3 through 5, you have seven glories of the redeemed. Seven glories of the redeemed. Verses 6 through 11, you have the angel's message. Verses 12 and 13, you have the message of the Lord. Verses 14 and 15, the two classes. Two different classes of people. Two classes. Verse 16, the final testimony of Christ Himself. In verses... Verse 17 is uh, the answer of the Spirit and the Bride. Verse 18 and 19, the final warning. And verses 20 and 21, you have the final prayer and the final benediction. I'll go through those quickly again. Verse 1 and 2, the river and the tree of life. 3 through 5, seven glories of the redeemed. These are interesting. 6 through 11, the angel's message. 12 and 13, the message of the Lord. 14 and 15, the two classes. Verse 16, the final testimony of Christ Himself. Verse 17, the answer of the Spirit and the Bride. Verse 18 and 19, the final warning. And verses 20 and 21, the final prayer and the final benediction is in these two verses. The final prayer and the final benediction. I'll repeat those as we teach them, so I'll try to at least. <clears throat> Let's look at verses 1 and 2, if you will. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal. Proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the midst of the street of it and on either side of it, <clears throat> on either side of the river, rather, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So you have the river of life and the tree of life. First thing I want you to notice, it's a pure river of water of life. And it's clear as crystal. We like good, clear mountain water, don't we? Used to go up the upper canyon to see that uh, Rio Dosa when it comes out before you, there's anyone to foul it up above it, above all the uh, residents and everything. It's beautiful. So, a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal. Proceeding out of the throne of God, the throne of God and of the Lamb here suggests the sovereignty of God, uncontested. There's no one here but God and the Lamb of God. For that pure river of the water of life, let me read Psalm 46, verse 4 and 5. If you want to jot these down, if you don't have time to turn to the references. But first, verses 4 and 5 of the 46th Psalm says, There is a river 
The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God. Even the psalmist knew this. The holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. Remember, that's where the throne of God was and the Lamb. It says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her and that right early. An unmovable throne, an unmovable uh, condition. And God in the midst of her. A river. The streams that make glad the city of God. The psalmist had it pegged just right, didn't he? Ezekiel, let me read some in Ezekiel 47. I want to read nine verses here. Begin with verse 1. Ezekiel 47, verse 1. Afterward he brought me again unto the door of the house, and behold, the waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. For the forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Then he brought me out of the way of the gate northward and led me about the way without unto the utter gate by the way that looketh eastward. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. And when the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits. Now I want you to notice several things in these next few verses. And he brought me through the waters... The waters were to the ankles. How many people like to used to go and wade in the stream? And the waters were to the ankles. That's pleasant, isn't it? Again, he measured a thousand, a thousand and brought me through the waters. And the, water, the waters were to the knees. Again, he measured a thousand and brought me through. The waters were to the loins. Afterward he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass over, for the waters were risen, waters to swim in. A river that could not be passed over. You see all the blessings of God start in a minute way and extend, and they grow until they just get more than you can. You know, God's Word is like waters to swim in. There's waters that children can wade in. And all the way through, there's a, an escalation. It, it just keep, keeps getting larger. And the blessings keep growing as well. And uh, so verse 5, After he measured a thousand, it was a river that I could not pass over, for the waters were risen, waters to swim in. A river that could not be passed over. On down in verse 6, it says, And he said unto me, Son of man, thou hast seen this. Then he brought me and caused me to return to the brink of the river. You say, well, we're, we have the river here, but what about the trees? Look. Now when I had returned, behold, at the bank of the river were very many trees on the one side and on the other. See, Ezekiel kind of corresponds to what we're reading in Revelation. Then, then said he unto me, These waters issue out toward the east country and go down to the desert. By the way, they water in the desert. And go into the sea. They circulate. They're refreshed. And they're brought again. Which being brought forth into the sea. The water shall be healed. And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth. Which moveth. Whithersoever the river shall come. Shall live. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish. Because of these waters shall come thither. For they shall be healed. And everything shall live. Whither the river cometh. So we're talking about the river of the water of life. Get back in Revelation now, 22, verse 1 and 2. If you notice, it says in verse 2 now, 
verse 1, the last part of verse 1, the throne of God, it says, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. If you remember the last chapter that the Lord God Almighty and the temple of it were the, uh, in verse 22, and they were the sun and the light of it. The city had no need of the sun, neither the moon to shine in it. That's verse 23, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. So you have the river, you have the throne of God, you have the uh, sovereignty of God, you have the fact that they're the temple, you have the fact that they're, they're the one that lights the eternal state of things. Now then, verse 2. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, food year round. We could go ahead and read the correspondence to this in Ezekiel. I won't take time because I have too much ground to cover. But yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. You have these wonderful, glorious things that will be in the eternal state of things when we get there. In verse 3, now verses 3 through 5, we have the seven glories of the redeemed. Notice verse the third verse, you have the first one. There shall be no more curse. That's the first one. There will be perfect sinlessness and perfect holiness. It is a perfect and blessed government that will be uh, under Christ's control for eternity. You know the the best kind of government is not a democracy because you have what we have in a lot of it's and it's not communism. I'm glad we have a democratic nation. Don't misunderstand. That's the best now. But the real best is when you have Christ as King over all the earth. And then we, these uh, groups that rise up and want to cause problems, they'll be told how to keep things right and peaceful. Now you see when mobs get out of control. In fact, in our nation now, it's getting to where sometimes the minority is the one. We call them the minorities, but they control the majorities because they get their way and sometimes that way is bad. And it's not good for for people to uh, have mob rule. And that's what uh, sometimes it stems to. We have a wonderful government, and I'm glad it's a democracy nowadays. The church is a democracy. And the majority rules in the church, in a local church. But sometimes if you're not led right, you know, the Bible says, if a man be overtaken in the fault, what does it say? Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So the church is to be a spiritual uh group of people that know how to handle things. Okay, anyway, here we have, in verse 2, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, the tree of life, which bear twelve men are fruits, plenty of food, plenty of shelter, plenty of protection, plenty of healing. In verse 3, and there shall be no more curse, perfect blessedness, and a perfect government, and perfect sinlessness, and perfect holiness. And then we find, but the throne of God, this is the next one, The throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. That's the second blessing. Never to be disturbed by disorder. 
we have a lot of disorder. Remember this accident that happened just recently in the Chinese uh, demonstrators over there and our, the fellow in the embassy couldn't come out. In fact, today is the first day he came outdoors since that happened. And some people have no sense of reasoning. You know, if something happens and it is an accident, it is a mistake, like our government claims, well then people have to understand. By the way, there's no such thing as a war that doesn't kill people. Don't, don't, don't ever imagine that. So anyway, we have that situation. But here, never to be disturbed by disorder. Because the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And there will be no disturbance. And then the third thing, and His servants shall serve Him. Look here. Heaven will not consist of idleness. I talked to a lady yesterday. She used to be a nurse here for one of the doctors. Some of you might know who I'm talking about. She has oxygen, goes around in a wheelchair now. Husband takes her to Walmart. She's outside of Walmart. Very sweet people. But anyway, to make a long story short, she says, I wish I could be back nursing. See, the thing about it is, I made the remark to her, I said, you know, a lot of people complain about working. And I, com- I would complain if I was not able to work. You have Working is one of the greatest blessings you can have. Amen. And here it says... Uh, uh, his his servants shall serve him. We're talking about a, a wonderful eternal state of things, and heaven will not consist of idleness. The holy city knows of service. It knows about service. And if, the more you can serve, the more you can work, the more you can do something, the happier you'll be. Amen. The happier you will be if you do something, even if it's around the yard, around the house. If you have time and don't have to punch a clock or anything, you still have plenty to do. And if you have the ability and if you have the arms and the strength and the feet and the mind and the will to do it and the energy, you can thank God for that, friend. You can be thankful for that. So that's the third blessing of the redeemed. His service. Now the fourth one is in verse 4. The first part of it. And they shall see His face. An eternal vision of Jesus. To see Him as He is. To see Christ as He is. You know, we in this day and hour, well, since the days of the apostles, in the days when Jesus was on this earth, no one has seen Him. We see Him only with the eye of faith. We see what God's Word has told us and reveals Christ to us. Oh, I know there's a lot of claims with the Bible. You know, these people that claim, I saw God. Well, the Bible says no man shall see his face and live. I, th- I don't think they have a leg to stand on, do you? Uh, but they make all kinds of claims. And they, the Lord told me. Well, He told me too, but He told me in a different way than He may have told some of these folks. You see, God's Word is, is His Word to us. Now, He moves upon our hearts. He uses His Word. He guides us by His Holy Spirit. We can know if things are right or wrong because He's given us a spirit of discernment, of of distinction to understand things. And spirit of understanding. But that doesn't mean that you, you hear Him talking to you just like I'm talking to you tonight. He may be talking to you, talking to you through His Word and talking to you... Uh, through His guidance. 
But anyway, this says, they shall see His face. That's when we'll see Him. Now here's another thing. That's eternal vision. See Him as He is. In the fourth verse, you have another blessing. Blessing of the redeemed. And His name shall be in their foreheads. Eternal ownership and possession. His name shall be in their foreheads. God is going to claim us. We belong to Him. The cattleman goes out here and he brands all of his cattle. The sheepman goes out and he clips the ears of his sheep. It has a certain thing that marks the ears of his sheep. We have various ways of identifying even animals that belong to us. And God is going to identify every one of us and says, That one's mine. That one belongs to me. His name, eternal possession. Eternal ownership. Okay, and then the sixth one of these blessings, you'll find it in verse 5. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light. An eternal day. No more night. You know, we fear the dark. In fact, uh, the eternal punishment in uh, hell will be in darkness. The Bible tells us that they will be in darkness. But there's eternal light with the Lord. And it says, no more uh, night. No night. An eternal day. And He is the light of all eternity. In fact, verse 23 of the last chapter says, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. We talked about the Shekinah glory and the glory of God in our last lesson. In the last part of verse 5, you have the seventh blessing. And what is it? And they shall reign forever and ever. Forever in a position of ruling and reigning with Christ. He tells us back there in the second and third chapter of the book of Revelation, the letters to the seven churches. In fact, I think the blessing to the last church was the overcomer. Let's see if it is. The third chapter, verse 21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. The overcomer, that's one of the blessings, the last church that is mentioned. The overcomer. Alright, back at Revelation 22, verse 6 now. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent... Uh, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent His angels to show unto His servants the things which must shortly be done. This reminds us of the first chapter, doesn't it? Chapter 1 and verse 1. What does it say? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So we find the angel's message. Verses 6 through 11. Verse 7 says, Behold, I come quickly. Yeah, verse 7. Three times in this last chapter you have the reminder of Christ's coming. Look at verse 7, verse 12, and verse 20. 7, 12, and 20. We'll come back to 7 in a moment. Look at 7. Behold, I come quickly. 
Verse 12, And behold, I come quickly. Verse 20, Surely I come quickly. Amen. See it in verse 20? Three times. We'll talk about what's contained in these verses as we look at them. Behold, I come quickly. So look at verse 7. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. That's like the blessing we were told in the first chapter. The one that would read it, the one that would hear it, the one that would would keep it. You have chapter 1, let me read verse 3. It says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. What was this one say? Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. We've already assumed that you've read it. And now he says, Blessed are they that keep it. Now verse 8 says, And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. I fell down at the feet of this angel, John says. Then saith he to me, See thou do it not. In fact, in the original it says, Do not do that. See thou do it not. Do not do that, the angel said. The angel said to John. John is a man, human being. In the Spirit on the Lord's day. Getting all this revelation. But when he fell down to, at the feet of the angel to worship the angel, the angel says, do not do that. In fact, probably pretty forcible. You know why? Only God is to be worshipped. Only God is to be worshipped. Boy, that puts a kaitis to some of these that worship anything that comes along. There's some that worship angels. Uh, Paul speaks of those that worship a voluntary worshiping of angels in the book of Colossians. Angels are ministering spirits. They're sent forth to minister to them who shall be heirs of salvation in the first chapter of Hebrews. And many a times they save us out of an uh, automobile accident or something, some tragic thing or some uh, accident that could happen befall us, some tragedy. Many times. And you've felt that and I have too. You've experienced that. Going down the road and maybe a little distracted or something happens and all of a sudden you could have been uh, killed. But God in some way worked it out to where He saved you through His ministering spirits. But they're not to be worshipped. Neither are any mediators to be worshipped. The apostles are not to be worshipped. Remember when we started the book of Revelation it said... The revelation of St. John the Divine. Well, let's put in there by man. It's not St. John is, it was the apostle. St. John's to be respected. He's to be cared, he's, he's to be, uh, recognized as one that God chose to be, be the one that would give us the book of Revelation. He wrote five books in the New Testament. You know what they are? The Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelation. Five books. And, but he, he's a man. And you see, we're not to worship men, nor angels. Men are to worship God. And even John was to worship God, not an angel. 
We have no other ones to worship in the world. Uh, there are certain people that worship many gods. There's a lot of people that like to worship many gods. But there's only one God, our Father, one Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible tells us there's only one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And anyone that worships anything else or any way else or anyone else is worshiping idols. Regardless of what name they go by. Uh, verse 9 says, Then said he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. He said, If you want to worship, worship God. Now verse 10. It says, And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He's talking about the time of Christ's coming. All things here in Revelation are being uh, consummated. He's telling us of the uh, end time things. But look at verse 11. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He, he, and he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. You know, this eternal state will not suddenly uh, make men righteous. Men will not suddenly become righteous just because they have reached this state. There will be unjust... There's classes. We're going to see the two different classes of people in just a moment. Men remain as they are in life. Character is something that you don't change overnight. Did you know that? You don't, really don't change character overnight. You are just about what you're going to be when you're another 10 years later or 20 or 30 years, 40 years down the road. By the grace of God, you need to, while you're young, turn everything over to God and then He will establish character. We preach Sunday on Timothy receiving the Scriptures. He says, He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of sound mind. Right? Of power and of a sound mind. And God is able to give you what you need so that the character will be what it ought to be. I get amazed. I go up to care center quite often because I have responsibilities up there. Up there Sunday and I was up there yesterday. But anyway, to make a long story short, You'll find there's some old ladies up there and old men that are, some of them are just as sweet and gentle and grateful for everything. You'll take one of them a card and they'll just thank you and they'll hug your neck and everything. You'll take someone else one and they'll just take it. They might even tear it up right in front of you and throw it in the trash. They might even turn aside. You can see the character. You can see what kind of person they've been all their lives. You see, just getting old doesn't make you better. It doesn't. It just makes you older. And sometimes meaner. you're, You're going to be, if you do not develop the right kind of a character now while you have your facilities about you, your faculties about you, 
and your ability to train yourself and to read God's Word and study it, things can get out of, out of control and you can end up being worse off than you are today. Well, anyway, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Now, verse 12 and 13 show us the message of the Lord. It says, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. That's what Jesus said. To give to every man according his work as his work shall be. The rewards are going to be there too, aren't they? In heaven, in glory, throughout eternity. We've already studied seven glories of the redeemed, but now in verse 13 he says, I am Alpha and Omega. Alpha and Omega. This is the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. The Greek, not the Hebrew. In the Old Testament, you have the Hebrew alphabet. And you have, in Psalm 119, they're pointed out very distinctly. Every octave of verses. Every eight verses, you have a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. But Alpha and Omega is a Greek alphabet. He says, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. God is before all things and He will be there when all things consummate. From the beginning to the end. And He fills all that's between. I'm reminded of what John said when he said uh, the books in the last chapter of the Gospel of John. He said, uh, the world could not contain the books that should be written about Jesus. The whole world. Some of you have a library of various sizes. And I have one pretty good sized library. Mostly of what I study in the ministry. But anyway, it's pretty, pretty much to read. But think of the fact that all that library written in English, all of it that's written in English, with our little alphabet, all those volumes come from those ABCs, A through Z. I'm Alpha and Omega. Jesus is all between. Verse 14, Blessed are they... Now, I want to give you something here, and I don't want you to think... Uh, I'm warned in the last... Before we read this verse, I'm warned in the latter part of this, this final warning that I pointed out, not to add to God's Word or not to take from it. And I would not give you this interpretation of this verse uh, due to that warning if I didn't have something that you need to know in verse 14. It says, and it's a very uh, good verse, but some people have been led astray by it because there's something here that needs to be pointed out. Verse 14 says, Blessed are they that do His commandments that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Now this puts salvation by works. But this word, look at this. I want you to see something. That do His commandments, those words that do His commandments, that's an interpolation or an alteration or a modification of the original text. And the earliest manuscripts say this, that wash their robes. Blessed are they that wash their robes that they may have a right to the tree of life. And 
authoritative Hebrew and Greek scholars, Greek authorities especially, also agree that it should be wash their robes. And I gave you that warning before I started because I want you to know that I would not dare touch this if it were not some firm foundation to show you that it was a difference, it was an alteration of the original text. So remember that wash, that do His commandments should read that wash their robes. Even Schofield, if you have a Schofield Bible, your marginal reference will say wash their robes. Do you have a Schofield Bible? Some of you do. It'll say wash their robes. Also, Alford and Darby and F.W. Grant, very great Greek authorities, agree with that, that wash their robes. So, what we come to this uh, is that the blood of the Lamb washing their robes in fact, other scriptures in Revelation shows us that the only a, a right to heaven and to glory is through the blood of the Lamb. And we studied that all, already earlier in the text, remember, that they washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb is the only title to glory. So this needed to be pointed out, and I hope you understand that. And you can search it out from any direction you want to, and I believe that you'll find that... that uh, Scholarship and authority shows that that's what it should read. Otherwise, and by the way, some have taken this to justify being saved by keeping commandments. Being saved through the commandments. Uh, And especially the Seventh-day Adventists believe that you're saved by keeping that one commandment of the Sabbath. The Old Testament Sabbath. Saturday. They worship on Saturday. And we could go into a lot of uh, exposition about that. But what I'm trying to point out is simply to show you that there's no basis for claiming that our right to enter heaven. Notice this. Blessed are they that do His commandments that they may have a right to the tree of life. Is it through doing His commandments that gives us that right? Or because we've been washed in the, or washed our robes in the blood of the Lamb? It's because we've been washed. And it says, and may enter through the gates into the city. So if we enter into the gates through the city on this basis, we have to uh, realize that the only way we get into heaven is what? Through the shed blood of Christ. So there's a point that needs to be made, and I trust that I have made that point. Uh, There's many scriptures. The work of God, faith in Christ, is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And John 6 verse 29, let me read this for you. John 6 verse 29 Jesus said this, This is the work of God, that you believe on Him whom He has sent. This is the first commandment that Jesus gives us. That John 6.29, you need to have that passage verse of Scripture. Also you need, and I have to hurry now, also you need John chapter 12, beginning with verse 44 through 50, and you will see John 12, verses 44 through 50, and you'll see that the same lesson is taught. That... If you're talking about the commandments, it's faith in Christ. The first thing that needs to be considered. Now then, I must hurry along. Look at verse um, 15. For without, without that city, for without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and adulterers and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. So you have in verses 14 and 15, two classes of people. Those that enter in the gates of the city of God. And verse 15 tells us those that are without, that will not be able to enter in. They cannot enter in. 
without our dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murders. Dogs are called Gentile dogs. That's what it's talking about. Or heathen. For out, without our dogs. That's the title it was sometimes used for as heathen and Gentile wicked men. And sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. So you have the two classes now. Now then I must hurry. Look at verse 16. This is the final testimony of Christ Himself. Verse 16. Notice. I, Jesus, have sent Mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. What is it? Because Jesus is God, He is the root of David, and because He is man, He is the offspring of David. He says, I'm the root and the offspring of David. One avenue of His, well, His deity as the root of David. His offspring, He's the offspring of David uh, in the sense that He is a man, and He is, uh, of course, the son of David according to the flesh. In Romans chapter 1, let me see if I can find it for you. Romans chapter 1. It says in verse 3, concerning His Son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was, verse 3, made of the seed of David according to the flesh. That's the humanity. Verse 4 says, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So in Romans chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, you have the humanity of Christ and you have the deity of Christ. Jesus said that He was both the Son of David and He is David's Lord. He's David's Lord in that He is the Son of God. He's David's Son in that He was the house and lineage of David according to the flesh. He's quoted, Jesus is quoting from one of the Psalms when He says that. Uh, I think it's Matthew chapter 22. You can uh, Let me read it quickly. I'll hurry. Verse 41, while the Pharisees were gathered together, this is verse 41, Matthew 22, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ, whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord? Saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If, if David then call him Lord, how is he his son? Jesus put the question to him. He says, If David calls calls him Lord, how is he his son? They couldn't explain that because they didn't understand it. And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. So Jesus is both the son of David and he's both David's Lord. And that scripture and it's referring, Jesus was referring to one of the Psalms. Let me hurry and give you this. Back in Revelation 22, uh, verse 17. Verse 16, I, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify and to use these things in the churches. By the way, the very last word in the Bible shows us that the church is a local body. The very last word about churches, I don't see how people can go so far astray when it talks about the church. When Jesus said right here, the very last word, time the word church is mentioned, He says, I, Jesus, have sent Mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. Remember, He started out with seven letters to seven local churches. 
So, we, we can't get away from the fact that these things are to be taught where? In the churches. And the church is a local body of baptized believers, called out, separated from the world, associated together to carry out the great commission of the Lord. And we need to indoctrinate our young people and Christians all over to the fact that there is a local church body. And it has a commission to carry out. Okay, verse 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. The Holy Spirit, the bride is the church, right? Okay, and the Spirit says, Come. And the bride says, Come. Here's the last invitation. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. This is the answer of the Spirit and the bride to what Jesus has, what we've been hearing. They say, come, and let him that heareth say, come. If you hear the word of God and you become a believer, you're to invite people to come. And let him that is a thirst come. Notice there are three times the word come is given here. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit wants you to come. The bride, the church wants you to come. The one that hears, let him say, come. Let him say, come. Come to Christ. And then it says, And let him that is a thirst, let him come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life, what? Freely. Doesn't cost you one thing in this world. I like that, freely. Whosoever believeth on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. If you receive Christ as your Savior... You have all the right and freedom to do that. And just as soon as you do, you have salvation. Then and there and for eternity. Alright? And then verse 18 and 19 is the warning. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of of the prophecy of this book. Look at this. That heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things... God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. If any man shall add unto his book. It's talking about the way it was originally written. In the original language. Sometimes through translations there will be errors. There are errors in all things. Did you know that? To err is human. To love is divine. And if human... Hands and minds had a part in translating. There can be mistakes. There are some mistakes. God's Word as it was originally written in the Hebrew and in the Greek is without fault and without error. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Peter tells us that and Paul tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God as God breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, mature, grown up, truly furnished unto all good works. God's Word is perfect. The Bible says every word of God is pure and He is a shield to them that put their trust in Him. But we do find... Here that we have the warning not to add to it or take away from it. Holy Scripture is divinely inspired. It's God-breathed. It's the revelation of God. It's not to be altered or tampered with or distorted. It's an extension of God Himself. Even Jesus Christ Himself is said to be the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. 
So that's the final warning. Verse 19 says, And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Verse 18 said that he would uh, have the plagues that were written in this book. They would deserve that judgment. Verse, and by the way, in uh, Psalm 138, I believe it's verse 2. Let me check it. Look at Psalm 138, verse 2, and see that God has magnified His Word above all His name. Psalm 138. I believe that's it. 37, 38. Okay, listen carefully. It says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. You know why it is? Because God's word tells us about his name. And if his word was not magnified, so that the word actually is a, is a, uh, is, is an ex, uh, extension of God himself. That's why he's magnified his word above his name. So that it will tell us of him and it will extend him to us. Alright, back in Revelation 22. We want to give you this in closing. Verse 20 and 21. The final prayer and the final benediction. It says, He which testifies these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. That means suddenly. When he appears. Even so... Come, Lord Jesus. The final prayer. Now, the final benediction is this. Much like the Apostle Paul, by the way. John later, after Paul did take, or from some way or another, took up somewhat of the way Paul would close a book. And he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The what? The grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're saved by grace. We walk in grace.